Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We just received a package that was forwarded to us from our uh, Bangor uh, mailbox address yeah. and there was stuff in there from Christmas yeah I don't know what happened there because we've received other boxes from the forwarding yeah. since Christmas so I don't know I don't know what happened but, but it was what a delight it was totally it was like Christmas in March yeah I loved it um, we were thrilled to uh, open up so many presents and I was and cards and we found some really weird stuff in there rick and steve sent us a a nice package with uh, lots of delicious things that uh hadn't spoiled because they were processed foods right which is great uh plus dog treats and a cd so uh very excited to sit down and, and listen to that sonia sent us 222 dollars and 22 cents which pleased me more than I can express. <laughs> well, it just looks beautiful in, in print. Doesn't it look yeah, lovely? She sent that to help uh, pay for the ridiculous vet bill that we had for Howard uh, when he ate all those pills that he was not supposed to eat. No, no, no. So thank you so much for that. Mike sent us some of the most amazing smelling coffee I've ever smelled in my entire life. I am going to brew some tomorrow morning and it's going to be the best. And I think this is uh, certainly the most unusual uh, thing in the box. It is, uh, it's from from Gwen Mm -hmm. who sent us this. It's an X-ray and it says on here, it's faded over time. But it is an x-ray of a barbecue skewer stuck up a guy's butt. <laughs> oh, nothing says happy holidays like barbecue skewers in guys' butts. Mm-hmm. They said a radiologist friend copied it for me after I begged profusely upon hearing the story. Amazing. And, and Gwen passed that on to us. That is going to hang in a prominent place in our studio. I'm so happy. I can't wait to tell the story when we have guests over. So you got um, a snake in a jar 
and an x-ray of a barbecue skewer in a guy's butt is what it looks like. Yeah, what of it? Before I get into it, uh, this story, uh, a trigger warning is in order. There's a lot of violence. Uh, there's murder, suicide, and other extreme violent events. Enjoy. Now, when I say the name Cassius Clay, what do you think of? Boxing. Boxing, right. Muhammad Ali. His uh, birth name was Cassius Clay. Right. And Ali uh, changed that name to Muhammad Ali uh, when he joined the Nation of Islam. He refused to answer to Cassius Clay, which was a name he dubbed, quote, my slave name. Okay. He was not only possibly the greatest athlete of the 20th century, uh, but also well-known as a crusader for equality and American uh, African-American rights. Ironically, the name Cassius Clay was taken from a man who was an extreme abolitionist his entire life. Oh, wow. The original Cassius Clay was well-known as an abolitionist politician in the mid-1800s, and he served in the Kentucky House of Representatives and ultimately was appointed ambassador to Russia by Abraham Lincoln. He was called the Lion of Whitehall by his colleagues. Uh, after the name of the plantation that he uh, he was born and grew up on, Whitehall, he lived his entire life there. Throughout his life, he won many, many duels. He was a very vocal advocate of the abolition of slavery in his home state of Kentucky in the 1840s. Uh, so he was uh, he was a tough son of a bitch. Yeah. He founded an anti-slavery newspaper called The True American, and as its editor, filled page after page condemning the institution of slavery. This was pretty ballsy in those times in that place. This did not make him very popular in his home state, although some of his neighbors did quietly admire him, but most were just outraged. The newspaper and Clay personally were constantly being threatened. In fact, he was threatened so often he installed sheet iron over the street side door of his offices, the newspaper's offices. His offices were well stocked with pistols and rifles for the staff and himself to use. He had an evacuation plan for his employees oh, through, through a hatch in the roof. The plan was if they were attacked, the employees would escape through the roof and Clay would stay behind and light explosive devices that would destroy the entire building. He also had two large brass cannons in his office. It he, sounded like he had some brass cannons, I'll tell you what. He, he totally had brass cannons. Each of the brass cannons were filled with musket balls and rusty nails. Although the offices were attacked from time to time, Clay never had to institute his defense strategy or his evacuation plan. He received hundreds and hundreds of death threats at his newspaper office. Like this one, quote, You are meaner than an autocrat in hell. The hemp is ready for your neck. Your life cannot be spared. Plenty thirst for your blood. But Cassius Clay was not one to back down. He wasn't easily intimidated. One of his contemporaries at the time said of Clay, quote, He would fight the wind did it blow from the south when he wanted it to blow from the north. <laughs> And although Clay was born into a slave-owning family and he grew up on that plantation, ultimately, about 20 years before the Civil War was fought, he freed all of his slaves that had been handed down to him by his father. They estimated the loss at about $40,000 at that time. It's an incredible amount of money. 
The former slaves were given the opportunity to remain at Whitehall and work for fair wages if they desired, and many did. Wow, that's walking the walk, not just talking the talk. That's for sure. So his outspoken abolitionist position and his bombastic personality were ultimately responsible for Clay finding himself the target of violence repeatedly. For example, in 1843, his political opponents, they were so pissed at him that they hired a man named Sam Brown to assassinate Clay while he was publicly debating. The idea was they would kill him when he was debating a pro-slavery politician And that would send a very clear message. And even if they didn't succeed, it would at least scare Clay and the other abolitionists in the area and keep them quiet. But that's not what happened. Brown, the would-be assassin, lunged toward Clay and fired a bullet directly into Clay's chest from nearly point-blank range. Brown then turned to make his getaway with his henchmen, thinking, you know, he'd done Clay in. Mm. But nothing could have been further from the truth. Uh, All it seemed to do was just really piss Clay off. Brown was surrounded by his allies, but Clay, with a bullet in his chest, fought his way through the crowd, pulled out his Bowie knife. Oh, my God. And didn't just stab Brown. He cut off Brown's nose. Oh, wow. And then his ear. And then he gouged out Brown's eye. And then... With the bullet still in his chest, he picked Brown up and threw him over the wall. That attack didn't intimidate Mm -hmm, Clay mm -hmm. at all, didn't stop him from speaking out for abolition. Whenever he got the chance, in fact, he became even more determined and increased the amount of public speaking dates that he had. Oh, wow. Not too long after the shooting incident, after he had healed... He was wrapping up another anti-slavery speech when he was approached by several men. They were all brothers and sons of a local pro-slavery politician. The group was headed up by a guy named Cyrus Turner. He was the ringleader. And they were pretty wound up after Clay's speech. They followed him off stage and immediately went after him. Their goal was to put an end to Clay once and for all. They got the jump on him and they took his Bowie knife away from him and stabbed him with his own knife several times. But Clay didn't fall, nor did he slow down. What he did was wrestle his knife back from the brothers and then chase them away. Jeez Louise. Everyone ran, but Cyrus became the target of Clay's anger. So Clay Clay ran Cyrus down and fatally stabbed him. Jeez. This was a guy who had been shot in the chest not long before and survived, and then had been just stabbed several times, and he was still able to do this. Wow. He was also very well known. He had a reputation for winning every duel he was involved in, and he was involved in a lot of them. He was a pretty hot-headed guy, and if somebody just argued with him about, I don't know, the quality of the grass in the yard, he would challenge them to a duel. Most of the time, they would back down, but not always. His reputation was well known when it came to dueling, even back as far as 1833, when he was studying law at Transylvania University in Lexington. The story goes that he was courting Mary Jane Warfield, and her former boyfriend, Dr. John DeClary, sent her a letter. In the letter were many accusations against Clay, and Clay saw the letter, and he, got, he was, he was pretty, pretty pissed off about it. He found the guy and beat the crap out of him with a hickory stick. Oh, my. DeClary challenged Clay to a duel, but it was probable that DeClary didn't really think anything would come of it. 
because it, in fact, from the beginning, it looked like he was trying to avoid a confrontation with Clay since the date he sent or set for the uh, duel was the day that Clay and Warfield were getting married. It was his wedding day. So he figured, yeah, he can't make that. And of course, Clay didn't attend. That actually surprises me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Declary did, you know, if he had just kept his mouth shut, Mm-hmm. Maybe it would have been fine. Right. But he started bragging about how Clay fled and was a coward. Uh. And so Clay didn't care for that too much. No. So he went to confront DeClary at his hotel. DeClary promptly challenged Clay to a duel again, but then left for the evening. Mm-hmm. And then Clay waited for his challenger and the guy never showed up. The next day, Clay found out that uh, DeClary had been so intimidated and was so fearful of facing Clay in a duel that he had gone upstairs and slit his wrists. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's rough. And so his life went like this decade after decade. Late in his life, at the age of 89, 89, Clay got into a fight with a younger man named Riley Brock. Brock had married one of Clay's ex's, ex-wives, Dora. And Clay suspected that there was domestic abuse taking place against his former wife. And he thought that uh, not only was Brock beating his ex-wife, but that he was plotting to break into Clay's house and steal his his belongings. Okay. In 1899, Brock and two other men did, in fact, break into Clay's estate, Whitehall. Their intention was to steal Clay blind. No one knows exactly what transpired that night for sure, but when law enforcement arrived several hours later, they discovered one of the men shot dead, another fatally stabbed, and Brock had fled for his life. Clay, on the other hand, was sitting there smoking his pipe and didn't appear to be harmed. And he didn't lose a penny. They didn't steal anything. He was 89. No, it didn't sound that way. No, they didn't make off with much. Clay died of natural causes at the age of 92 on July 22nd, 1903. And strangely that night, I don't know what to make of this, but it's kind of a weird coincidence. Um, Strangely, the night that he died, a huge thunderbolt came down and struck the head of the statue of Cassius's cousin, Henry Clay, at the cemetery next door. I don't know what that means, but it's often cited as another one of those bizarre things why that happened in his there, life. Why was there a statue of his cousin? His cousin was dead, and it was like a monument. Oh, okay. Got it. Wasn't like a, wow, this guy was... Well, it was Henry the, Clay. So, yeah, one of the founding fathers. But Okay, that Henry Clay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I should have made that more clear. But one of the most lasting legacies of Clay was that after he died, he donated all of his land for the creation of Berea College, the first segregated college in the South that accepted all students regardless of gender or race. And although the classes were indeed uh, segregated, the fact that a school like this even existed in the South at this time was more than unusual. Mm. What made it even more unique was one of its founding promises to provide tuition-free education to those in need. And of course, today, Berea College is no longer segregated, but it still charges nothing for tuition. Wow. And its motto remains the same as it did when it was founded well over a century ago. Quote, God has made of one blood all peoples of this earth. Cassius Clay. My source information came from Ranker, Wikipedia, and the Smithsonian Magazine. 
The original Cassius Clay. That is fascinating. I did not know all this. He was a badass mofo. Apparently. Um, not as badass as uh, the person that I'm going to talk about, though, uh, which is really pretty interesting. Wow. Are we having a badass off? I guess so. Okay. I anxiously await your story. <laughs> the Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. In the mid-1800s, a railway signalman lost his legs in a terrible accident. Soon after that, he purchased a baboon. He began training the baboon to do his job. 
The baboon essentially reacted to the whistles from the trains. Each train had a different whistle, and the baboon learned each train's noise and set the signals accordingly. He was eventually given a job and a salary. It wasn't long before the railway company realized that they were employing a baboon, and they came to the railway station to fire the baboon and his handler. But the handler convinced management to let the baboon work for an hour while they watched. It's been said the baboon never took his eyes off the management as he performed his duties to perfection. He continued working for the railway for nine years and never made a mistake. Megan sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. Hi, Megan. Hi, Kat and Jethro. I just got finished listening to uh, Box 412, and Kat was talking about wanting to keep J.G.'s skull after he dies. Mm. I've told my husband that I want to keep his skull, too, so you're not alone. My husband's totally disgusted by this and thinks I'm crazy, but he also likes to make sure that the rest of the family knows I want to do this. I thought his head would make a nice vase with flowers coming out. Aww. Anyway, love the podcast. You guys are amazing. Hashtag relationship goals. <laughs> That's right. Relationship goals. A great relationship always encourages the surviving member to keep body parts around the house from your recently passed beloved one. <laughs> I think it's interesting that, that you're willing to keep my head but you're totally against me shooting my ashes out of a cannon at my funeral. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's two different things. I, I, f- I feel like keeping your, your skull would be respectful. And I don't feel like the canon thing is. That's how I feel. All right. Well, we're all entitled to our feelings. Right. And since I'm going to be the surviving one, my feelings are the ones that matter. <laughs> I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast that automatically downloads and sterilizes itself with bleach. You're welcome. This is The Box of Oddities. All right, it's your turn, my love. Tell me a story. August 15th, 1818, reportedly. 
in the south of the United States, a baby was born into slavery. As was so often the case, this baby's exact birthplace and birth date are unknown. And the baby was given the name Bridget and was later nicknamed Biddy. Most of Biddy's youth, as well as the story of her youth, was lost to our unjust history. But we do know that in addition to her domestic and agricultural skills, she developed skills in herbal medicine and midwifery. As she was separated from her parents and worked on various plantations in Georgia, Mississippi, and South Carolina, she garnered more and more skills. And eventually, she was either sold or given to John Smithson, where she was enslaved on his plantation in South Carolina, where she assisted uh, the house servants and midwives and further increased her skill. In 1836, Smithson gave the 18-year-old Biddy to his cousins, Robert Marion Smith and Rebecca Crosby Smith, as a wedding present. And the fact that that sentence exists is so upsetting and disgusting to me. But she was subsequently taken to the Smith's plantation in Mississippi. Now, Smith was a Mormon convert. He decided to follow the call of the church and moved his family and enslaved persons to the West. This was a pilgrimage to establish a new Mormon community. So it's 1848. Biddy was about 30 years old. She has three young daughters. And the westerly Mormon caravan that eventually arrived in the Holiday Cottonwood area of the Salt Lake Valley was on its way. Biddy's responsibilities included setting up and breaking down camp, cooking the meals, herding the cattle, serving as a midwife, uh, but she wasn't riding in the caravan. She was to walk. Oh, wow. With her youngest child on her back, Biddy walked behind the wagon train for seven months. It was 1,700 miles to the Salt Lake Valley. Holy shit. Now, when the church leader, Brigham Young, sent a group of Mormons to California to establish another community, Smith decided to join them. It was 1851, and Smith probably didn't know that California had been admitted to the Union in 1850 as a free state and that slavery was forbidden there. Smith refused, though, to allow his enslaved people to be free. In California and and along the way to California, Biddy had met free black people and they urged her to legally contest her slave status. These people included Charles and Elizabeth Rowan and Robert and Minnie Owens. Their son, Charles Owens, had started courting Biddy's 17-year-old daughter, Ellen. Now, by 1855, anti-slavery sentiment was growing in California, and fearing that he would lose his enslaved persons, Smith tried to move his family and those he had in California illegally enslaved to the state of Texas. The Owens family, though, you might remember the Owens family, the son of Owens is dating. Yeah. The Owens family told the L.A. County Sheriff that slaves were being illegally held. A posse was gathered and they apprehended Smith's wagon train in the Cajon Pass and stopped them from taking these people out of the state of California. Wow, that's intense. On January 19, 1856, Biddy petitioned the court for freedom for herself and her extended family of 13 women and children. The L.A. District Judge Benjamin Hayes approved Mason's petition. Biddy was free. 
She took the surname Mason from the middle name of Amasa Lyman, who was the mayor of San Bernardino and a Mormon apostle. Mm -hmm. Biddy moved to Los Angeles. She accepted an invitation to live with Robert Owens and his family. Her daughter, Ellen, soon married Charles. And I just think that's really nice. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Biddy found employment as a nurse and a midwife for Dr. John Strother Griffin, who was an L.A. physician. She was very well regarded and assisted in hundreds of births to mothers of all races and social classes and also gained a reputation for her herbal remedies. Biddy earned $2.50 a day, which was actually a pretty good wage at that time. Uh And she was an incredibly hard worker. She had honed her nursing skills. And because of these things, it allowed her to become economically independent. She gave services, though, to people who were unable to pay. But she offset that by living very frugally. Only 10 years after gaining her freedom, she bought property on Spring Street for $250. She became one of the first black women to own land in Los Angeles. Wow. On one parcel of her property, she built a clapboard house. And she used part of the property for gardening and then built some small houses to rent out for additional income. Wow. Biddy's got it going on. She does. But L.A. at this time was growing. And Biddy became the founding member of the first African Methodist Episcopal Church in 1872. This is now the oldest African-American church in the city. It has more than 19,000 members. Holy crap. It still exists. You're kidding. In 1884, Biddy sold a parcel of land for (laughs) $1,500. And she built a commercial building with spaces for rental on her remaining land. She rented out storerooms on the ground floor and lived with her family on the second floor. As the city continued to grow and she was bringing in more money, she acquired several more lots in L.A. As the town developed, most of her early investments became prime real estate. Where she bought her first plot of land is now the center of the commercial district in the heart of L.A. Holy shit. Her financial fortunes continued to increase until she had accumulated almost $300,000. In? This is the late 1800s. Let me see how much that is. Sure. 370,000 you said? 300,000. 300,000. That's just under 11 million dollars today. Wow. That's incredible. Due to her shrewd investments, Biddy was the wealthiest African American woman in Los Angeles. She also gave generously to various charities. As I said, she lived very frugally Mm -hmm. to offset her philanthropy. But I don't think there's any amount of frugalness that can offset what this woman did. She provided food and shelter for the poor and visited jail inmates. She was instrumental in founding a traveler's aid center and an elementary school for black children. She created places where people in need could get food and housing. It was a pretty incredible place when Biddy was around. Biddy Mason died January 15, 1891. And even though she was very well known in the area and was incredibly wealthy, she was buried in an unmarked grave at Evergreen Cemetery in the Boyle Heights area of LA. 
It wasn't until nearly a hundred years later that her final resting place was given due respect when the tombstone marked her grave for the first time during a ceremony attended by Mayor Tom Bradley, who was the first African-American mayor of Los Angeles. Uh, The ceremony was also attended by several thousand members of the first African Methodist (laughs) Episcopal Church. A year later, November 16, 1989, was declared Biddy Mason Day in Los Angeles. What a remarkable life. I love her. As you know, we don't tell each other stories before we do them. Mm. And it's interesting that both of our stories kind of line up like this. It's too bad that we didn't do them last month during uh, Black History Month. Every month should be Black History Month. That was a song that I just wrote. In your head? Yeah, called Every Month Should Be Black History Month. (laughs) That's going to be stuck in my head all night. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, Biddy is amazing. She's a badass Biddy. Thank you, by the way, to Kiki for bringing her to my attention. And I got my information from encyclopedia.com, womenhistory.com, African American Registry, blackpast.org, and nps.gov. Tomorrow when I'm on the Peloton and I'm all sweating and feeling bad for myself, I'm going to think about Biddy and her seven-month walk. No kidding, right? Special thanks to our newest patrons, uh, Jacqueline, Winston, Deneen, Bambi, Allison, Kalia, and Zachary. Thanks a ton for supporting us and becoming a member of the Order of Freaks. If uh, you would like to join them and help support this podcast, you can do so by going to theboxofoddities.com, which, by the way, is the same place where you can find tickets to our upcoming live shows. Nashville, Huntsville, Charlotte, Blam. Hope to see you at uh, one or more of those shows. And uh, if not, we will see you next time. Well, that doesn't make any sense because the shows won't be before the next show. Yeah, that's so a good point. We'll ha- that was a sloppy segue. Yeah, it was. I'm really sorry about that. Anyway, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. 
And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast.